Hi, I'm Ali, Salon Director at the Head Gardener Hair Salon in Inverness, and I'm delighted to be sponsoring this brilliant new podcast called Lump. It's honest, raw, challenging, funny, and very, very sweary. But let's face it, cancer is a bit bloody sweary. One last thing, make sure you rate, like, and share Lump wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks a million. And over to Penny. Get a life. Fuck! I shout loudly in pain as I do as I'm told and sit up for the surgeon to inspect my back. The shock of it floors me and I pant. I told you the hard work starts now, he said then sets out my goals for the day. Up, a shower, and into a support bra. Given the pain I've just experienced, each of them seems insurmountable. And I don't want you on this, he says, nodding at the morphine drip I'm still guarding preciously. It'll just delay things and make you constipated. So the morphine drip is removed, along with the drain in my breast and the catheter. I'm feeling slightly punch-drunk. I'd expected the morphine to allow me to sleep like a baby, but I'd been awake all night, watching the clock slowly wind forward to my next visit from the night shift nurses. Every half an hour through the night, they'd taken note of my blood pressure, heart rate, and monitored the level of fluids being produced from my back and breast. My blood pressure is low, very low, and each time they take it, they frown. I become obsessed with the numbers and strain to read the monitor as the cuff inflates. So much so, they quickly learn to turn it towards me so I can see what they see. What's normal? I ask. 120 over 80, comes a reply. I'm consistently dancing around 95 over 47. In the middle of the night, one of the nurses comes to give me a shot of antibiotics into my cannula, and I flinch in pain. She looks concerned... The cannula isn't behaving, and now, even when I click my morphine friend, I wince. She suggests we get another cannula put in my other hand, but I'm resistant. I think I've had enough needles, and I hate having a cannula inserted. But I start to obsess with the fact that the one in my right hand isn't working the right way. Time ticks by till the next visit. I think we should put a new cannula in, I say. And she agrees. The doctor, who comes, is quiet and efficient, and I cope. My blood pressure remains stubbornly low, and in response, my new cannula is furnished with a drip that swings above me. At 4am, I ask for yoghurt to try and calm my scratchy throat, but the nurse suggests ice cream instead, and I have the curiously guilt-free pleasure of scooping ice-cold cheap vanilla ice cream into my mouth in the middle of the night. Finally, I fall asleep at 5am, then wake for the next check at 6. It's the longest I've slept all night, and I feel slightly spacey until the surgeon arrives to kick-start me into action at 7.30. I'd already anticipated the potential side effects of the morphine and sent an SOS to my friend Joe to bring supplies of dates, figs, mixed nuts and fizzy water. Since I figured I was going to be alive for some time yet, it seemed sensible to set out on a slightly healthier regime than presented by David's Easter egg and jelly baby combo. 
although I'd cracked open the jelly babies to celebrate my cannula bravery. Jo came in at nine, and it was lovely to see her. While she was there, Karen, the breast care nurse, stopped by with a soft, front-fastening bra and a heart-shaped cushion to tuck under my arm. Then Joe and Karen left to be replaced by Janice, a physio, who talked me through the exercises I need to do four times a day. With the catheter removed, I had to get myself across to the bathroom to pee, each time bracing myself for the task of getting out of bed, shivering with the effort. Emily, a young trainee nurse who I'd met a couple of weeks earlier when I was in for my lymph node biopsy, came to help me shower. She carefully dried between my toes, and I wondered at her patience and compassion for the naked, bruised, battered and bandaged form I'd become. She helped me gently into the bra that Karen had supplied, then back into the hospital gown. I wasn't feeling brave enough for the pyjamas I'd brought. The checks on my blood pressure continued at regular intervals, along with injections into my tummy to thin my blood and deliveries of painkillers, white paracetamol and pink ibuprofen, plus a yellow one I didn't catch the name of. I continued my clock-watching between all this busyness and activity, waiting for when B might appear. My girl. My little girl. I hadn't wanted her to visit when I was first back from surgery, worried at how I might appear, but now I was aching to see her. A constant stream of messages from friends and family came through on social media. So much celebration. Eventually Bea appeared, pale and concerned, clutching flowers and a card. She leaned into me and kissed my face while I tried to look and sound less tired and broken than I felt. By the time David appeared, cold from a day working in sleet and snow, I was exhausted from lack of sleep. He stayed for a short while, then headed off in search of food, leaving me in search of rest. I'd been warned the second night was often difficult and to expect a challenge, but I was so tired that shortly after nine I fell heavily asleep, waking briefly only at 2am for the night shift to frown at my blood pressure before I sank back asleep until six. And so, gradually, over the next couple of days, I moved more, showered more, made my way to the bathroom more easily, and started to heal. By the end of the week, I was deeply bored with my incarceration. You ready to get out of here? My surgeon asked on Friday morning. I was. I told him I couldn't stand the coffee cold turkey any longer. I'm gagging for a double espresso and an avocado, I laughed. The challenges of the middle-class cancer survivor. I've been the term cancer victim. I'm no longer a victim. So my back drain was removed, I got another visit from Karen to advise on what to expect over the next few days and book a time to see me the following week, and I was free to go. Almost. The world had tilted while I'd been in hospital. Can you get your hands on paracetamol and ibuprofen? asked the nurse who was to discharge me. Tesco's been cleared out. You might have more luck at the small chemists, but you can't go unless you've got some. And if we have to wait on a prescription from the hospital, it could be hours. COVID-19 had hit. I immediately got on to David, and together we did a pincer movement on a close friend who owns a pharmacy. He came through for us, pain relief sorted, and I was free to leave.
If you're enjoying Lump Podcast, make sure you subscribe so you never miss an episode. And don't forget to leave a review whenever you get your podcasts and share it with everyone you know. And next time you're in the salon, if you tell us how much you're loving the podcast, we'll give you a free gift. Coming up in the next episode... Two weeks after my surgery, and we're due to move house on Friday. We have nothing packed, and the removal firm have just called to cancel on us, because last night, Scotland went into lockdown, and COVID-19 has moved from background noise to centre stage. Lump is written and presented by Penny Stewart and produced by Adventurous Audio.